couple of things I'll mention this morning as we uh, get started. I don't think we have said anything yet this morning about um, what's happening in the Ukraine and specifically in Donetsk where our missionary Jadon Rogers is. If you have been following the, the uh, emails that have gone out or, or even just reading the paper, you can see some of the things that are happening. But some of this has been very negative uh, for the church there and for the work that we support. Uh, Sasha, who is a uh, someone known to us, even though he's not been here or anything, we have uh, heard Jay Don talk about him many times, and he has been, uh, we've seen photographs of him, and he works very closely with the church in Donetsk, and he has been, uh, from what I still understand uh, at this point, and, and Gary's going to say some things in a moment that, that might clarify, but uh, Sasha was, uh, was taken by the rubble, rebels in the last few days. Uh, he was, I think, in his car, and they stopped his car and took him out of his vehicle, and uh, I don't know anything more than that. Maybe Gary can will have some more information, but I know uh, his life is certainly in peril. He is a, a strong member of the church, has been a leader in the church there, and this is a very negative situation. Uh, the whole situation is negative. Uh, when we look around our world today, it's just amazing all the turmoil that exists. I'm going to share some more things about that this morning, but we certainly want to be praying for uh, the work in Donetsk and Jadon and, and just uh, the church there for sure. Gary, do you have anything that you want to add? I was speaking with uh, Jay Dillon this morning, and uh, I guess I can't say much more than what he said as far as the, uh, the evilness of what's going on there. Uh, in our song this morning, we sang there with uh, joy in the street. Um. Well, that's exactly the exact opposite to what's going on in Donetsk, and there's a couple of other cities that are about the same. Um, uh, Sasha, they haven't heard of him, uh, so they have no idea what's happened with him. Uh, they did find, uh, a, uh, I guess you call it a mass grave, a grave with several bodies in it. Uh, and they were all uh, Pentecostal preachers that were uh, uh, murdered. Um, the streets are empty. The trade and commerce is uh, just about nil. The the rebels basically have cleaned out any uh, food sources, um, and so everybody's on edge. Uh, the the fighting that is being done, a lot of the, uh, well, the, it's being organized by some high-ranking Russian people. Uh, Jadon was familiar with the, uh, some of the names that uh, are in charge of the uh, of the rebel army. But a lot of the uh, soldiers are Russian people that have lived in Ukraine, and many may or not may or may not have wanted to be part of the fighting. But basically, uh, the people are being uh, recruited at gunpoint and forced to fight or die. Uh, I believe Sasha was with his family when he was taken. He's got a wife and uh, two children. They were allowed to go, but they haven't heard of what's happened to him. So. And I guess really uh, uh, there's only prayer is the big thing. Uh, I guess the the devil can only be uh, uh, conquered through prayer and through uh, God's power. Um, there's a great need for money as well. So if anyone wants to uh, uh, give to the Ukraine work through the church here, I think uh, we have a, a process for that. But basically... Uh, the people, I'm sure, are hungry because 
the food sources have dried up. But uh, so remember, remember to pray for that those people. Mm. Thanks, Gary. Why don't we pray right now? Please, can you lead us? Holy Father, we thank you for the ways in which you work in our lives here. We don't experience the things that so many people in the rest of our world experience. But we have brothers and sisters who are in peril today, lives that are threatened. Uh, we don't even know where Sasha is. We pray blessings on him and on his family. We ask God that you would have him released quickly. We would pray that he would be found in safety uh, and not harm. Father, we pray that you'd be with the church there, help them to stay strong and devoted to you. The challenges that have come their way are immense. Uh, in one sense, there's little we can do, but at the same time, we can come to you, God, and entreat you and ask you to intercede, and we pray you would. So we pray that you'd be with our brothers and sisters there, bring them comfort and peace. We pray that you'd be with that entire region, as long as so, along with so many other regions of the world who are in such turmoil, and ask God that you would would work in such a way that you would bring peace on the earth. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. Um, I wanted to mention already, I was out for the baptism, so I didn't know if you'd mention Nephiah. Okay. Uh, Nephiah Holmgren, uh, after a long and wonderful life, uh, died, I believe, on Monday of this week. She was 95 years old, longtime member of this congregation. Her husband had been an elder here as well. In their senior years, they had been... Uh, relatively shut in and so hadn't been here but it's been uh, a long tenure of Christianity and of course we have so many Holmgrens that are part of our church family and so we want to be praying and asking God's blessings on them. The funeral is going to be on Wednesday at 10 o'clock at the McGinnis and Holloway facility at Crowfoot. Crowfoot, McGinnis and Holloway at 10 o'clock on Wednesday will be the funeral for uh, Nephiah Holmgren. Now in addition to that the Holmgren family uh, are all preparing right now at this moment for a wedding today because Becky Tyson is being uh, married today at 2 o'clock. I'm going to leave from here relatively quickly afterwards and go do that wedding, and I'm blessed to be able to do the wedding, but you can imagine there will be a great deal of um, emotions being expressed in their family as Becky on the one hand is getting married, and they, so many of them will be also uh, getting ready for a funeral on Wednesday. I think the funeral on Wednesday can be a joyful occasion given Nephiah's life, and so we need to keep that in perspective and And, of course, I think the wedding today will be wonderful as well. So there's lots of them that are gone this morning out uh, preparing for a wedding at 2 o'clock. And we should be praying for them as well. I also wanted to mention this morning that there is a lady here who for the last 35 years of of my life has been my mother. My mother-in-law is here, and I just wanted to introduce her to you and tell you that I love her. And I'm grateful you're here. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, that would be wonderful. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to get there in just a moment. I'm not the only one in our family who has a mother-in-law. My son Adam is married and has a mother-in-law and a father-in-law. And I wanted to mention this morning that as we begin here this time... That Adam's father-in-law, whose name is Larry, uh, the the father of my daughter-in-law, Stephanie, is a Vietnam veteran. And as such, as a Vietnam veteran, one of the things that he's experienced in his life 
is post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress syndrome or whatever one says to that, says about that. He, he experienced things during wartime in Vietnam that have, in one sense, plagued him the rest of his life. And so there are times when he wakes up in the middle of the night and he has things on his mind. And it has impacted his life, his health, his work. And then, in addition to that, about 20 years ago or so, uh, Adam's father and mother-in-law lost a 14-year-old son who was my daughter-in-law's only sibling. He was 14 years old, and he was hit by a car and was killed. And so my uh, daughter-in-law has been raised the rest of her life by herself as an only child. And so this man, Larry... Uh, Adam's father-in-law has endured a great deal in his life. Now, the fact is that for many people, life brings with it struggle and heartache and disappointment and pain. And it's all the more difficult when heartache seems pointless or when you don't understand. And if you'll remember, one of the things that went along with the Vietnam War was that there were an awful lot of people who didn't understand. There were a lot of people who didn't agree with it. And so there were a lot of protests, of course. If you were old enough to remember the 60s, then you'll remember all of the things that went on in the United States with reference to the Vietnam War and all the protests that took place and all of that. And it was very difficult for the veterans coming back from Vietnam when they got back because not only were they not being honored, but, but neither did they necessarily understand why they were there. And in one... On the one hand, someone could say to them, well, we're, we're battling against encroaching communism as the Chinese sweep into Vietnam. Uh, but in another sense, a lot of them never got that. They didn't really understand. And it was just difficult. You can imagine being in a place, you're 18 years old, you've been drafted, you find yourself halfway across the world in a jungle, and somebody is shooting bullets at you, and you really don't understand why. That would be hard. It'd be difficult to deal with. And so there have been a lot of people who've had a hard time with that when they returned. I'm sure the same thing, of course, is happening today. Well, in the same way, we oftentimes are confronted today with the question of why, why is it that bad things happen to good people? That's a question that seems to get asked a lot. People wonder, how is it that a a supposedly good, loving, all-in-control God can allow people to experience all kinds of heartache and pain? And sometimes these are good people. And so it's, it's difficult to wrestle with the suffering and the pain when there seems to be no justification. When something bad happens and there seems to be no reason for it, what do we do with that? And it's hard. Now, fortunately, I suppose it's fortunate, there are times when sacrifices are made and when bad things happen to good people, and it's actually for good reason. Just recently, I was watching uh, the movie version, The Man in the Iron Mask, Alexander Dumas' story about the Three Musketeers and about how there is a king who has a twin brother They're separated at birth. The one twin brother goes off into... I'm going to spoil the movie for you or the book if you haven't read it. He goes off into captivity. He's in prison, put in an iron mask so that no one can recognize who he is because he's an identical twin to the king. The king, meanwhile, grows and becomes 
a ruthless ruler, not a good man at all. And the musketeers finally decide that they're going to free the other son from prison and allow him to take the place of the king. And they plan all of this. D'Artagnan, meanwhile, the fourth musketeer, he's on the side of the king or continues to support the king through the most of the story. And you finally, you end up at the end realizing that D'Artagnan is actually the father of the two sons who are, one has become king, etc., etc. Well, as... The story unfolds. The king is in the middle of a fight where the other brother, his brother is present. And he, at the end, has a chance to take a dagger. And he proceeds to take the dagger and he's ready to slay his brother. And as he does, his own father, D'Artagnan, although he doesn't know it's his father, jumps in between the two and the king stabs his own father and kills him. And as he's dying, D'Artagnan says to both his sons who are there and to the other musketeers, he says, I have always hoped that this is the kind of death that I would die. He wanted to give his life in service to his king. And if he was going to die, that's how he wanted to die. And so it's clear to me that there are times that when suffering and pain and death and all kinds of bad things take place, there is sometimes justification. And it's not one of these instances when we don't understand and we don't get it. And so we jump ahead from France back then to World War II, to now. And we ask the question, what about our time? Is, is there anything worth dying for now? Is there anything worth giving ourselves up to? Could we die a death and in the process say, I'm so glad that this is the kind of death that I could die, where I give myself to this, and in the process make the ultimate sacrifice? Well, is there? I sometimes wonder, but ultimately I think there is. It's interesting that young people today, people who are the millennials, those who are 18 years old or 19 years old or 20 years old, sometimes they're faced with this kind of question because these are people who have been given everything in life. And in our society, life is not that difficult for them. And so they sometimes wonder, is there not something which is a great cause that stands behind everything else? Like all the things that we participate in, is there not some great cause that we could work toward in our lives that would transcend what we currently are doing? And so they say, and a young man recently said this, I want to find a cause or a purpose to give my life to that is so compelling that were I to die or make great sacrifice for that cause, I would know that my sacrifice would have been worth it. Now just think about that. This is a person in search of purpose and meaning. And I just kind of stand back and say, wow. 
It sure stands in contrast to where we often find ourselves. We tend to focus on things that are ultimately pretty shallow or meaningless in comparison. We build bigger barns, as in the parable of Jesus. Our treasures are here. We accumulate. We create reputations grounded in wealth and things. We want status and prestige and notoriety. We want ease and leisure and respect. We want the good life. And so we've constructed a society where things like this are actually fairly easily attained. And then after we've constructed the society, and it's so easy for us to have all that we want, and for us to say, we've got the good life, then our children come to us and say, wait a minute. Is there not something more meaningful than this? Is there not some cause somewhere that I can consider so great that I could give my life to that cause and know that if I gave my life the ultimate sacrifice that I'd given myself to something meaningful? Isn't there something beyond this? Is there no greater cause for all our effort than simply that we can say at the end, we are somebody? Is the point of our lives sometimes lived under trying circumstances, nothing more than a self-centered personal quest for importance so that I can say that I was a success. Is there no greater cause? Well, what do you think Jesus would say to that church? I think that Jesus would say that ultimately there's a greater purpose. I think that Jesus would say that the best thing for all of humankind, for every last one of us, is to follow him with all our hearts. This is what Jesus would say is the justification for all kinds of sacrifice. Bringing the good news about what he has done for humankind, living for him, he would say ends up being the one great cause and justification for everything else. And so no matter what it is, that we may have to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, Jesus would say, that is what we need to sacrifice. It is worth it. There is real value here. And so you're in Matthew 16. I want you to look at these words with me. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And the point's fairly obvious, I think, that Jesus is trying to make. It's that according to Jesus himself, following Jesus is the justification and purpose for which we're all searching. And you just think about this for a minute. Do you remember what it was like when you were first baptized? Do you remember what it was like when you first came to Christ? Like how many of you, when you first came to Jesus, said to yourself, well, my goal is to kind of hold half of myself back from giving myself to Jesus and I'll give half myself to Christ. None of us said that. 
at the point that we gave ourselves to Jesus, we were all saying, Lord, I'm all in. I want to give my whole heart to you. Everything that I am, I want to give it to you, God. I'm not holding anything back. Take me. Do whatever you want with me. Did we not do that? I did. I remember what it was like to come out of that cold water and to stand on a sandy riverbank and to say to the Lord, I am all yours. Do whatever you want with me, Christ. I'm giving myself to you. Look back at verse 21. From, the time on, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter, and Peter's just like us, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And of course, he was dead wrong. It was going to happen. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And my my thought, church, is that this is exactly like us. We have in mind the thoughts of men rather than the thoughts of God. And so our treasures end up being here and not with him. And we don't say to Jesus, Lord, this will never happen to you. What we say is this, Lord, you couldn't possibly mean that this could happen to me. And Jesus shouts back at us, of course this could happen to you. This will happen to you. This must happen to you. The cause for which I died is worth you dying too. The cause for which I died is worth your sacrifice. And so I don't know where Sasha is right now. But everything I know of the man from what J. Don has said makes me think that he would look at his captors and he would say, if I die, it is worth it for the cause of Christ. If you're killing me because I'm a Christian, then my stance in Jesus compels me to say, do what you must. For I stand with Christ and it's worth it. We sang a song in the first service today. Michael and I didn't collaborate on this. We hadn't had much time to talk at all about what was going on today. And so I didn't have a chance to share with him my thoughts and what I would specifically share during the sermon. And he didn't have a chance to pick songs that would fit perfectly with that. But we sang a song this morning that actually used the words in it that I'd already written down in my notes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German, he was a theologian, He's, you know, probably know his story, he attempted at one point to assassinate Hitler, because of it he went to the gallows in the concentration camp. Earlier, of course, before he died, he wrote these words. This is what Bonhoeffer said. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And we sang those words in the first service this morning in one of the songs that we sang, that the cross bids us to come and die. Those were the exact words that we sang. And the cross does bid us to come and die. Come and die. 
And so young people who are here this morning, I would say if you're looking for a cause, for something to give your lives to, I would say to you, come and die. And middle-aged people who've lost vision and zest and purpose, and sometimes you feel like you live in a lukewarm world, I would say to you, come and die. And older people who cannot perhaps do what they used to do, I would say to you, teach the younger ones to come and die. Because there has to be more in this life than building bigger barns. Of course, it's one thing to talk about following Jesus. It's another thing to actually take up your cross and do it. You would have to almost be avoiding the media these days if you had no idea about what was going on in Liberia with the Ebola virus. Have you been following this? Perhaps you're aware that there were a couple of Americans, uh, a doctor and another who worked with him, who've contracted the Ebola virus. What you may not know is that Kent Brantley, the doctor, is, the, is a member at the Southside Church of Christ in Fort Worth, Texas. He went to ACU. Michael was there in 2003 when he graduated. Kent Brantley went to Liberia along with his family, his wife and two children. And he went there in October of last year just in order to do medical missions. He went with Samaritan's Purse and just wanted to, to bless people and do medical missions. But when the Ebola virus broke out, he became the one who was supervising the operation to try and take care of this virus. Unfortunately, in the process, he contracted the virus himself. He was flown to Atlanta in the last 48 hours. He's at Emory University at the medical center there, and they're trying to save his life. The things that have been said about this guy are amazing. I mean, in one sense, they're amazing. In another sense, they're simply what we should all be thinking about in terms of what it means to be a Christian. One of the doctors who's worked with him says he has such a compassionate heart. Even in the midst of this, he's asking not just for himself, but for others. And if you don't know the story, there was a serum that they developed uh, while he was still in Liberia. They developed a serum that they thought might be able to treat the virus. And so it's an experimental thing, but they only had one dose. And so they were going to give it to Kent Brantley. And he said, no, don't give it to me. Give it to Nancy, the lady that works with him. I haven't heard the, the effects of all of that. My, the last thing I heard was that it wasn't going so well with her, and so maybe the serum didn't really work. But he sacrificed his dose of the serum for her. Why did he do that? Why would a man do that? Why does he go there anyway? Why does he take up this opportunity to go and minister to people in Liberia? He could stay here, have a healthy practice in Fort Worth, Texas, make millions of dollars, and just be happy. But he didn't. And he didn't because he loves the Lord. Kent Smith, who I happen to know, is a spokesman for the family in Fort Worth. Kent taught for a while at ACU, and he'd done some things in Canada, so I had a chance to know him. He's an elder at Southside now. And he was talking about Kent, and this is in a newspaper article, and he says he intended to be a missionary before he became a doctor. Eventually, he decided medical mission is what he wanted to do. And so he went there to minister to people who needed his help. 
The article says, from an early age, Brantley was driven by his faith in God to make a difference. Friends and former colleagues said this about him. He took mission trips to Uganda, Honduras, Nicaragua, Tanzania, Haiti, ministering on behalf of Christ. And now his life is absolutely on the line. But that's what Jesus calls us to. You take up your cross. And you don't have your treasures here. You have your treasures in heaven. And so my question for all of us today is, what are we going to do about this? We can't all be physicians. We can't all go to Liberia. But we can make our sacrifices here. We can live for Christ here. We can be purposeful and take up our crosses and live here for Christ. And is that what we will do? Or will we continue to live pretty much for ourselves, building bigger barns, setting our hearts on treasures, bound to be destroyed by moth and rust and wind and fire? These things will fade away. They will be destroyed. The soul will last forever. And so I want to encourage you today to live for Christ. Let Christ lead you. Let him lead you to pay the ultimate sacrifice if he must. Let him lead you to carry your cross and live today with purpose for the cause for which Christ died. And he may cause or call you to carry your own cross. You may be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may be Kent Brantley. But Christ calls us to serve him with all our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes our faith is incredibly shallow. Some of the things that we think are important aren't important at all. Some of the things that we allow to distract us and keep us from serving you, they're like dust in the wind. And so I pray, God, that you'd help straighten us out. Move our hearts to make better decisions for you. Help us to be willing to make sacrifices for you. Help us to set things aside that aren't important. Help us to see that the treasures that we sometimes set on earth here as being valuable are meaningless. And that what we need to do is have our hearts, our lives completely devoted to you. Help us to carry our crosses. And if it means the ultimate sacrifice, help us be willing to pay it. Father, we thank you for people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but we thank you for people like Kent Brantley, one of our brothers in Churches of Christ who's given himself so fully that he, he, he's on the brink of death. And it's all for you. And he, he knows that. He knows that, but he does it willingly. For that, we praise and thank you. Help us, Father, to be people of like mind. We pray through Jesus. Amen.